Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com. Did you know that half of America is single? Hollywood has never produced anything like this before. The Dating Project, a groundbreaking documentary that follows five single people, ages 18 to 40, as they search for authentic and meaningful relationships. There is no script. There are no actors. These are real people trying to find love and happiness in an age of swiping left or right. From Empower Pictures, Paulist Productions, Family Theater Productions, and Pure Flix, you can now own The Dating Project. Save the date by visiting thedatingprojectmovie.com and go a step further and help others in your circle date differently by partnering with Ascension Press. Visit shop.ascensionpress.com to acquire the companion study guide. The Dating Project movie is now available on DVD and digital download on Amazon, iTunes, and Walmart. Please visit thedatingprojectmovie.com for details. like the Wizard of Oz sometimes. You know, because the Wizard of Oz said lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Well, here we're going to talk about yield curves and tariffs and bonds. Oh, my. I guess it doesn't have the same ring. All that and more today on Chuck and Ann on Finance, brought to you by IIE Financial. IIE Financial, willing the good of another. Visit us online at IIEFinancial.com or call the offices today, 832 832- Nine five three four nine nine eight. That's eight three two nine five three four nine nine eight. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be in the world. Today, I am your host, Chuck Fulkerson. Uh, we, uh, I'm still, I'm still one co-host shy. Uh, she is actually at a uh, at a at a conference called the Cersei Conference in in beautiful South Carolina. So it's funny. I started the week uh, in uh, I started the week in New York, and then I ended the week at home. And she started the week at home, and is ending the week in South Carolina. And so maybe someday again, I'll get a chance to see uh, my illustrious co-host slash wife slash mother of my children. Um, uh, but uh, until then, you're stuck with just me. That's all right. I hope I can bring you a little bit of uh, a little bit of a little bit of enjoyment to the day. But kind of starting off, you know, I, I joke around about lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my, because it's things people are afraid of. Right. If you watch The Wizard of Oz, uh, Dorothy and the Cowardly Lion and the Scarecrow, right? they're, they're all afraid of lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Actually, no. The Cowardly Lion is what the, the the lion they were afraid of. But anyway, um, so in the market lately, it's 
tariffs and yield curves and bonds. Oh, my. Because that's what people have been talking a lot about. Uh, what the tariffs are doing to the market or what they can do to the market. And, you know, right uh you know, on on early in the week, we had a fairly strong and fairly significant market rally uh, on just good, strong, solid news. And then the uh, the tariff information came out and all of a sudden, uh, almost instantaneously, people started to lose their minds. And, you know, I think a large part of the pullback in the market has to do with the momentum slowing down and and uh, and and the momentum slowing is super super important, um, which I've I've spoken about before, and uh, I'm sure I'll speak about again later. Uh, but the momentum slowing in the market is an important thing to consider. Uh, but the shock moves that the market has, where you get a hundred point move in the in the Dow Jones in an hour, or a, a hundred and fifty point move in fifteen minutes, or something like that, when you see that happen. That is due to just an emotional overreaction to a news release that's coming out. But the bigger picture that's scaring people is what's happening on the side of bonds and specifically how the short term rate and the long term rate are coming together, which can eventually cause a yield curve inversion. So I'm actually I pulled up and I'm looking at a chart of of the two-year, uh, the return on the the, the two-year bond uh, versus the thirty-year, and we're looking at two years apart. Now, the two-year, the the two-year nominal return, uh, about you know, we're looking at July of twenty sixteen to July of twenty eighteen. So, July first of twenty sixteen to July nineteenth of twenty eighteen. Well, on July sixteenth of of 2016, the two-year nominal return was a little over half a percent, right? Like 0.55. Whereas the 30-year was 2.1. So the 30-year was roughly uh, four times greater, roughly four times greater than what the uh, than what the the two-year was was producing. Now, you would expect that, right? You should get a higher rate of return for your money when you commit your money. To a longer period of time. Very simple concept. The longer that I'm going to commit my money, the greater rate of return I expect to receive in exchange, right? Because I don't, the risk free rate of return, if you will, um, is, is, is always going to be on the shorter time period because I'm not risking losing to inflation. I'm, you know, I'm risking losing to a lot less to inflation anyway. Well, and a large part of that's going to go with what the Fed does with interest rates. Well, if I look at the 30-year note back then, it was it was 2.1 and and it was and the uh, and the two-year was at 0.6. Let's look at today. The 30-year note is at 2.9. Let's call it 2.9. The two-year is at 2.6, 2.7 in that range. So think about that for just a few minutes. The 30-year was four times greater, right? It was four times the return of the of the two year. Now, the the 30 year note is a, less than half a percent greater than the two year. Why in the world would I put my money away for 30 years? Why would I why would I lose the 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 that additional time when I can get the same essentially the same rate of return for two years? 
And and that is really the answer. It's getting the same rate of return over two years that I would get for a 30 year, 30 year commitment. Now, this is what leads to what's called the yield curve. But all I'm looking at here is that short term rates are are going up faster than long term rates. And what happens is eventually when the short term rates will give you a a better return than the long-term rates, that is the point where you have what's called an inverted yield curve. An inverted yield curve simply means that the short-term rates for for bonds are higher than the long-term rates. That's really what it means. That you are not being rewarded for putting your money away in a long-term. Now, this is... traditionally a sign that the that that we are going to have a recession this is traditionally a recession and a fed study published on bloomberg a fed study uh has has been has been shown that it is still a good recession alert so the yield curve has been flattened but it still remains at zero and it is a good recession alert but it doesn't mean the recession happens immediately um you know, if you if you look, there was an article on Market Watch that's titled "Stock Investors Should Not Fear the Inverted Yield Curve." Strategist says, uh, and and uh, the two they, now they use the two and the ten year uh, curve inverts. So I'm using the two and the thirty. I'm using the real extreme. But uh, the last the last time that it occurred was uh, January 31st of 2006. That was our last yield curve invert. Well, the S&P 500 peaked on October the 9th of 2007. So it was 20 and a half months later. Now, we we wound up doing an additional 22% move in the S&P from when the yield curve inverted to when we got to when the market peaked. It was a 22% move up. Uh, Now, however, what happened after 07? Well, 2008 did, right? Well, when was the time before that that the yield curve had inverted? It was... Uh, May 26th of 1998. Now, when did the S&P 500 peak? 22 months later, on June 24th of the year 2000. Now, the market from 98 to 2000 went up another 39%. But then what happened? Skadoosh, as they say. Okay? Um, The time before that was 1988, uh, before our recession of the early 90s. Uh, and then the time before that wasn't in, wasn't until 1980. And what we see is that these yield curves have occurred, especially the last three, have occurred before strong recessionary periods. Our last three recessions, 2008, 2000, and 1992, have been preceded by an inversion of the yield curve. Our last three recessions. Uh, and, and this is something to really, really consider. It's... It's not something to ignore, right? A yield curve inversion means that a recession will occur, but it doesn't mean it occurs overnight. And, and what happens is a lot, of, a lot of people are jumping out of the market sooner than they probably should due to the fear of this inverted yield curve. When in reality, there could be another 20, 30% move up. Uh, historically, you know, on, on average... It's about 13 months 
from over the last five, it's 13.1 months from the inversion until the S&P 500 peak. That's the that's the average. But that includes the ones back in the 70s and the 80s that were only two months. Uh, The median would be 19.3. So the average, though, call it 13 months. So a year. Now, the S&P 500 price return from the inversion to the peak, the average is 21.8%. So let's just say that we go below average and we only do 15%. Well, as an investor, I don't want to give up that 15% because I've got fear paralyzing me. I don't want to just completely walk away from it uh, because fear is paralyzing me. And I think what happens is if you don't have a solid plan for what's going to happen when not if, when the next recession hits, then it keeps you out of the market. But if you have a line in the sand, if you identify and you draw and you keep a line in the sand of where the markets may go to, uh, you know, when they pull back down, then what you can do is you can be aware You can be cognizant as to, okay, here's where the market may go. And if it does go to that area, then I got to plan on what I'm going to do. See, what I don't want to do is to be stuck flat footed and unprepared. And I think that this gives us over a, on average, over a year worth of time to prepare once the yield curve inverts and it hasn't inverted yet. I don't think it'll invert until after November, but when it does, what's my plan? When, not if, when the next recession hits, how is it going to affect the money in my account? How am I going to be a good steward of the money that's in my account? And I can't be a good steward unless I have a plan. So changing gears a bit. There's a there's a calmer feeling that happens when when the markets are going up because everybody doesn't uh, everybody doesn't lose their mind, if you will, uh, just over a down market. Well, that being said, I want to talk a little bit today about the concept of momentum and momentum. Everybody understands, you know, uh, objects in motion tend to stay in motion. Objects at rest tend to stay at rest. Well, that is that that is uh, in in, we believe that that motion will continue. But what happens when that motion starts to slow down and lose its momentum? So think about a tennis ball for a minute. If you hold a tennis ball in your hand and you take that tennis ball and you throw it up into the air. What's happening to that tennis ball as it's climbing in the air? Well, it's running into resistance and the resistance it's running into is coming in the form of gravity. And so the whole time that it's going up, it's slowing down. Okay, so it's going up, but it's slowing down. And eventually, if it's slowing down while it's rising, what do we know is going to happen? Well, in that case, it's going to stop going up and it's going to reverse and it's going to start to come back down. Well, if we we have a pretty good idea that this is going to occur, if we if we know not for certain, but we know fairly clearly that this is going to happen, we can we can then time it and predict when that turn is going to occur. Think about the markets much the same way. Now, certainly the market's a little bit different in their movement because it's not as, you know, it's not as certain as gravity, if you will. But think about it in its in in much, much the same way. Uh, as we see the market start to rally, they sometimes rally in a very quick fashion. And, and the way things go up is they don't typically go straight up. They go up and then they pull back a little bit as a rest. And then they go up again and they pull back a little bit as a rest. And then they go up again and they pull back a little bit as a rest. And that's really what we see uh, in the markets day in and day out is this 
It's almost like tug of war, right? If you think about playing tug of war as a kid, you guys, you, you would you would maybe pull the other team a little bit, pull them, pull them, and then the other team gets to pull on you for a little bit. But as long as when you pull them, you pull them 10 feet, and when they pull you, they only pull you three, eventually you're going to win that game of tug of war, right? If every time you pull, you pull 10, and every time they pull back, they're only pulling back three, you'll give back a little bit of ground in order to regain uh, your footing and get more momentum and, and really dig in your heels and pull back. Well, the market does much the same way when it goes up. It might rally up 20 points and then pull back four and then rally up another 15 points and then pull back six and then rally up another 11 points and then pull back eight. So this is it's going up more points than it pulls back down. Not an unknown concept to people, but I want you to dig into what I just said. It pulls up 20 points. It goes up 20 points and pulls back four. It goes up 15 points and pulls back six. It goes up 11 points and pulls back eight. That description is slowing momentum. Notice every time I said that it went up, I gave a smaller number that it went up. It went up 20, then it went up 15, then it went up 11. But when it pulls back, it pulls back at a greater number. So I said it went up 20, it went down four. It went up 15, it went down six. It went up 11, it went down nine. So the point is, is that our going ups are smaller and our going downs are getting bigger. This is a picture of a change in momentum. So uh, when we when we are as as investors, I want to look, you know, based on my time frame at the momentum of the security that I'm entering into. Now, there's there are measurements that can be used, right? There are uh, there are what are called indicators that can be used in order to gauge those measurements. Uh, and so when you, whenever you're investing in an individual stock, you might look at those measurements as pictures of momentum. And pictures of momentum, things like MACD, which is Moving Average Convergence Divergence, measures the momentum of a security. Uh, it measures really the distance between average prices of security so it's actually a little bit lagging but it it does a good job of really graphically illustrating momentum speeding up or slowing down and in a market when we see that occurring we need to kind of perk our ears up and take note because that's a time where where we should we should be alert uh, and know what soon may happen so that's actually what i see occurring uh in the markets on a regular basis. It occurs in individual stocks, uh, you know, company, big companies like Boeing or Exxon. It occurs in stocks like that. It occurs in small companies, the, 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 the mini caps of the world. It occurs in gigantic currency markets like the euro, the yen, the pound. It occurs in commodities like the crude oil or the dollar. And it occurs in the whole market like the S&P or the NASDAQ. As an investor, you're going to want to be able to recognize that. And that's really where the risk comes in, because what happens is a lot of people, they they see something going up and they're thinking, oh, I don't want to miss out. I want to buy. And so they get in and they buy, but they're buying after the momentum has already slowed. And buying after momentum has already begun to slow is, I mean, that's like, you know, it's like uh, it's like trying to shoot a basketball that's already on its way down. It, it's it's already lost that momentum and starting to come back down. And 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 gravity is the best analogy I can use for this. But that's really one of the things that we do when we look at charts. 
a chart, uh, when we look at it, we don't try to, you know, create the, the, the future over where we think a stock's going to go. And we're not trying to be mumbo jumbo wizards when it comes to the chart, because a lot of times people really take more into the chart than they should. But what we are looking at very often is the momentum and the momentum specifically around uh, where is the demand and the supply of this individual security and how can that demand and the supply of the individual security affect its moving price. So keep that in mind when you're looking at your next investment is the momentum speeding up or is it slowing down? So that goes hand in hand with the next topic, which is what makes up the market in general, right? So think about it for a minute. You got the S&P 500, which is 500 large cap companies. 500 large cap companies make up the S&P in general. What's interesting is, let's say you look at the top five. The top five S&P 500 companies by weight. It's what's called market cap weight. They have the same market cap as the bottom 282 companies in the S&P. So think about that for a minute. Now, it's not the whole S&P, right? The top five don't make up 50% of the whole S&P. But the top five uh, represent 50% of, of, basically represent the same market cap of the bottom 282. And the top five are Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, right? Basically, um, Fang, we'll call it F-A-A-M-G, FAMG stocks, right? Netflix actually isn't in that top five. But the top five uh, have the same market cap as the bottom 282 companies that are in there. So, you know, and, and the, the, the bottom 282 companies are, you know, they're not, they're not tiny companies that are, that are there. I mean, it's, you know, companies like, like Wynn Resorts or, uh, you know, uh, JB Hunt Transportation. And, 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 you know, they're, they're fairly large companies, the things that people have hold of, right. Have heard of Granger, MGM Resources, American Airlines. I mean, those are still big companies, but they're, you know, they're not as big as the, as the top five. Now, how does this tie into what we talked about earlier? Well, if you're investing in the entire market, right, maybe you're looking at the whole market. Well, when I'm looking at the whole market and that those, those top five big company stocks, if they're slowing in momentum, if I see the momentum of those top five companies slowing, what the bottom 282 are doing doesn't really matter, right? Macy's is in that bottom 282. Um, Ralph Lauren, Kohl's, all of these are good, you know, well-known names and well-known companies. They may be going up, 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 but it's not going to pull up the whole S&P 500 if Apple and Amazon are both weakening their momentum. So what I would say is even though you're an individual equity, even though you're, you're maybe you're trading the whole market, uh, and, and the way you're, you're investing in the whole market is probably your 401k. You should look at what Apple and Amazon, Google and Microsoft and Facebook are doing because they're the big dogs that are going to control a large portion of what the whole S&P does. So and the S&P is really the big dog, right? It's the one that, that we really care about. It's the it's the most important market. It's what most of your 
annuities and and mutual funds are going to be tied to. So keep that in mind and look at the momentum of the big players. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, If you've got any questions, please feel free to send me an email, chuck at iiefinancial.com. Until tomorrow, take it easy. See you soon. IIE Financial is an investment advisor representative with Symphony Financial, a registered investment advisor. Charles Fulkerson is an investment advisor representative with IIE Financial and Symphony Financial, LTD Co. Annie Fulkerson is not registered nor affiliated with Symphony Financial. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Symphony Financial. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. IIE Financial does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love.